Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, curious minds out there in our ever-expanding radio land. Welcome to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman, MD, the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We are coming to you through the X-Zone Broadcast Network located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and broadcasting all over the world. What is the relationship between mind and brain? Does brain produce consciousness, or does the greater consciousness produce the brain? How do mind and brain interact with each other? Do mind and brain originate out of some deep underlying ground of being? I'm a psychiatrist. I study this question in my office. I help people with medications and with psychotherapy. I work in both the brain and in the mind. After all, you need your mind to recognize a coincidence and your brain to talk about it. Synchronicity, spoken here. Coincidences alert us to the mysterious hiding in plain sight. In other words, coincidence alerts us to possible causal connections not recognized by modern science. The phrase connecting with coincidence is my brand, my coincidence brand. It is the name of my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. To find any and all of them, please put Connecting with Coincidence in your search engine. Would you like to know how sensitive you are to coincidences? Take the Weird Coincidence survey on my website. Today I want to begin with the story of the discovery and production of penicillin one of the most amazing serendipity stories in modern science. Alexander Fleming, age 33 in 1918, stated that, 
quote, I was consumed with the desire to discover something that would kill those microbes, those microbes that were infecting wounds that killed so many soldiers in World War I. In 1921, in his laboratory in England, mucus drips from his nose onto a Petri dish, a Petri dish filled with bacteria. Fleming later noticed a halo of inhibition where his mucus had landed. Somehow, his mucus was killing bacteria. In 1928, he returned from vacation to find one Petri dish which was clear of the disinfectant, a disinfectant that would have killed all the bacteria. He was cultivating the unexpected by not cleaning everything right away. He saw another halo of inhibition near the golden mold, a golden mold that had landed on the Petri dish. Mold juice, he exclaimed. Mold juice was killing the bacteria. What Fleming had done was he found what he was seeking, but he didn't know it. He was seeking an antibiotic, but he didn't know he'd really found one that was going to be so important in world history. Sometimes it takes time to realize the significance of a coincidence. The penicillin notatum acts on microbes that are young and actively multiplying. The temperature that summer when Fleming returned from his vacation was just right for the bacteria, for the mold juice, for the penicillin to produce the mold juice. Well, down the street at Oxford University, Several scientists, including Flory and Chain, wanted an antibiotic to study the structure of cell walls. They, they had used the lysozyme, uh, same as Fleming's, from Fleming's saliva, um, but that wasn't what they needed. They discovered that laboratory technicians were using the penicillin juice to clean out flasks and other things to make sure they didn't have any antibiotics on them. They were just using it to clean up the laboratory. They tested their penicillin that had gotten from Fleming on guinea pigs, uh, uh, on mice rather, and had they tested them penicillin and guinea pigs that they infected, it would have killed the guinea pigs. There were lots of other coincidences that allowed them to see they had something of great interest. They brought the penicillin mold to the United States because the U.S. was very interested in getting an antibiotic. In Peoria, Illinois, uh, the Agricultural Research Center had corn steep liquor, a byproduct of the manufacture of cornstarch in which the mold thrived. But they needed a kind of mold, a kind of penicillin that produced lots of, of mold juice. So they sent people all over the world looking for fungus that produced the highest quantities. Funny how one day laboratory aide Mary Hunt uh, went to the, her local market and found a mold on a rotten cantaloupe from a fruit in, a, in the Peoria market that was three, three times more productive than Fleming's original mold. What a bunch of coincidences and several more that led to both to Fleming and, and Chain and Flores getting the Nobel Prize for their research. Our guest today is Joe Cambry, 
who has written about this subject in his book, Nature and Psyche, and with whom I'm looking forward to discussing not only the penicillin story, but his very excellently thought out theories about how synchronicity can be updated. We'll talk with Joe in our next segment. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, 
Visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Welcome back to CC with BB, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. Our guest is Joe Cambry, who is provost and acting president of Pacifica Graduate Institute. He is a remarkable theoretician and clinician in the Jungian tradition. He is past president of the International Association for Analytical Psychology and has served as the U.S. editor for the Journal of Analytical Psychology. He was a faculty member at Harvard Medical School in the Department of Psychiatry at Mass General Center for Psychoanalytic Studies. He was also former president of the C.G. Jung Institute of Boston. Dr. Cambry is now a Jungian analyst in Santa Barbara, California. His numerous publications include the book based on his Fay lectures, Synchronicity, Nature, and Psyche in an Interconnected Universe and a volume edited with Linda Carter, Analytical Psychology, Contemporary Perspectives in Jungian Psychology. Joe, it is such a pleasure to have you on our program. Well, thank you, Bernie. It's a a real delight to be here. And we're going to get into it, but what do you, let's start, let's start with um, the Fleming story. And if you're just tuning into us, um, the story of penicillin and Fleming is in our first segment and also can be found in Dr. Cambry's book, Synchronicity, Nature, and Psyche, as well as in my book, Connecting with Coincidence. What do you think of that, the whole thing, Joe? Well, it's such an extraordinary set of coincidences that uh, converge and it's got to be seen against the backdrop of the the First and Second World Wars. It's really a story of the 21st century. Uh, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist because Fleming himself was on that mission to uh, search for some kind of antibiotic because of the horrors that he witnessed during the First World War with all of the uh, soldiers getting infected from battle wounds and then uh, succumbing to sepsis. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that without penicillin, the Second World War would have, might have had some very different uh, outcomes, because um, through Fleming and then, as you pointed out, Florian Chain and Wheatley, the um, the in bringing that to the U.S., the um, production of penicillin 
reached incredible levels by the mid 19 um, by 42 43 and were essential in um, saving lives throughout the d-day and and on through the rest of the war yeah it's an amazing it, it so when we when we see that that one thing after another, uh, the, the, the weather was right for the yes. fungus to grow. I mean, because there, there was a, a snap in the heat, heat uh, in the heat wave in London uh, that allowed the seemed to allow the penicillin mold to grow. Uh, that at just the right time that it got to the to the petri dish, and that's one of many many things. Picking the mouse instead of the guinea pig, right. um, a couple, a bunch of other things that we couldn't mention. I love the idea that they were carrying around the penicillin just to clean out the flasks and petri dishes <laughs> over yeah. at Oxford, and just showed it showed up that that, and then finally Moldy Mary uh, coming up with yeah. it in the local market. There's just so and others and. and such a string of serendipities like this uh, had you commenting on it as a cultural phenomenon. And that's what I would you comment on that, please? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it isn't just lucky accidents. Uh, It's these kind of lucky accidents in conjunction with people who have a kind of open mind, who have um, the knowledge base to recognize the curious and the odd as having um, a meaning that's not there, that's not present in an explicit form, and yet there's some important mystery to explore. And these people are really pioneers for the culture. They were really uh, culture bearers. Um, And it was through their uh, openness of their imaginations to what they were um, bumping into by accident that they were able to apply their wisdom and lead to these remarkable breakthroughs that transformed uh, medicine in the, 21st, in the 20th century. Something like luck favors the prepared mind. Prepared mind, yeah. So it's, it's a combination of these things. It requires both objective knowledge and subjective readiness and openness. And in, in that way, it, it's not unlike the kind of uh, analytic attitude one needs to, to take in working with the um, material from the unconscious, that one becomes knowledgeable about many different kinds of um, sources of symbolism and uh, uh, ways of uh, working with symptoms and the like. And yet that's, that information is never complete in itself, and one has to watch for um, the uh, intrusion of something unexpected and unusual. And those often, even in very minor form, often give the, um, the breadcrumbs to the trail to find <laughs> something even deeper. Uh, that's that's so, so well said. Do you think you could give our audience an example Sure, I can think of a number of uh, these things. I mean, some of them are rather, and I think there is a spectrum of these things. Some of them are kind of low-key. Um, I've had a number of clinical examples that I've tried to discuss. I remember once I was sitting with a, a patient, um, and as someone was rather successful, um, but th- there was a, a certain um, difficulty getting at emotional content. And as we were sitting there, um, I, I had, we had a moment of silence and I, um, had a reverie, uh, that is, I allowed myself to, uh, sort of, uh, do a little wool gathering and I was very surprised that up came an image of a dream, just particular image, uh, 
And that caused me to look then at the patient, and I, I saw that he was in a slightly dissociated state. And I, I gently asked him what was going on, and clearly I had, um, even that was intrusive. And so I said, well, look, I, I just found myself kind of uh, wandering a bit mentally, and I wondered what was going on between us. And he, at that point, said, well, I was really out the window. And I said, well, what do you mean? So he went on and began to describe uh, an event that we had never discussed before in the several years of our analytic work. Uh, and it had to do with um, an adoption in his family and the um, the appearance of a, a sibling and uh, a kind of accident that he was involved with around this. And the nature of the accident had him being knocked unconscious. And I was stunned when he explained this to me for multiple reasons, one being that the image that had come up in the dreamer call for myself was a flask from uh, an alchemical series called the uh, Splendor uh, Solus. And in this image, there are three birds at the bottom of the flask, a black, a white, and a red bird. And the commentary says that these birds have been fighting with one another and they have knocked themselves out. Uh. either killed or knocked themselves out. And so one could see that we were in an interactive field together. That is that my image of what was happening between us was related to this alchemical image. And his was this personal story of um, intrusion and sadness and despair that he was feeling in the moment. And that provided a breakthrough in the psychotherapy that, uh, for a piece that we had not yet worked through. Somehow the three dead birds in the flag were connected to what he was experiencing himself when he went, went out the window. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I, would, would, you, would you make that connection a little bit more clear for us? <clears throat> yes. Uh, the, um, the image that he went to uh, where he was, he was recalling a, a rather painful day in his own childhood where he felt abandoned and he accidentally fell into a swimming pool and knocked himself unconscious. So the being knocked unconscious was in the field. And it was yeah. very much yeah. replicated by the dissociative process that we both experienced it within our own uh, idiosyncratic ways. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, now I see what you mean. Um, they're both unconscious at the bottom of something that contains water. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, and, perhaps that alchemical uh, penicillin flask as well. <laughs> <laughs> now that we got to that one too, in your uh, in your um, book Synchronicity, Nature, and Psyche, you go on to speculate um, something about. I mean, and this is something about. Let me. I'm not going to call it Unus Mundus yet, but something about archetypes. You didn't say these things, but I'm trying to see if you right. uh, really meant them uh, or where they play a, a role. You're you're also talking about complexity theory, so I'm I'm trying to to see how you conceptualize this remarkable uh, penicillin serendipity series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, I mean, how do I see the? Uh, well, how, my, how, you're, how it happened. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I think you're asking a question about what's my view of the psyche in in many ways. I mean, I see this as psychological phenomena that involves 
in, a, in the ecology of the psyche in the sense that it's not simply the internal world of the various participants, yeah, but it's yeah. also the things within their world and the way they are entering into a kind of larger ecological field. Um, yes. And in that sense, I think the psyche is non-local and it is distributed. Uh, it has, you know, more intensity, obviously, uh, localized around centers of consciousness. But in, in between, I think the field is still um, plenty active. And so the, the constellation of events that are all coming together are what we're witnessing. And they need to be seen as part of a whole. I think one of the, um, the implications of synchronicity is that we cannot use a reductive model. Uh, all we, we end up just sort of baffled uh, and either tending to be believers or uh, deniers. Uh, we need a larger model if we're going to approach synchronistic phenomena, one that has a kind of holistic field uh, quality to it. And if you do that, then you can see that somehow the mold and and um, and Fleming's psyche and, you know, just why does he drop a, a bit of uh, mucus into the um, in in 21 into that Petri just at just that moment? Why does he leave the window open? Why does he look at the flask at just that moment? Um, particular moment when the molds come in. I mean, yes, it's a wonderful coincidence. And he's his consciousness is picking up on just the moment to make the observation, because it could have happened 10,000 times before and nobody noticed it. You know, I'm trying to to see your concept of psyche uh, in a larger psyche or consciousness mm. um, within the larger consciousness. And uh, it's 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 such a beautiful precision uh, in your thinking that uh, I'm picking up that I hadn't heard quite uh, visualized. I visualize things a lot uh, other ways. So there, there's, there's a kind of um, concentration of thought uh, or of, of consciousness in each one of us, um, yes. but, but it, it extends out. Um, I call that our mental atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, and this mental atmosphere, uh, I say, we breathe in uh, information and energy, and we breathe out or information energy. We exchange it with this with this mind field or or or, or a mental atmosphere. It sounds similar to what you're talking about. Yes, and I I, I honestly feel. Um... This is what Jung was really getting at uh, when he first started to articulate it. I've, you know, when I wrote the book on synchronicity, it was prior to when the Red Book had appeared. And so while I put together what I could of the history of the idea, uh, I was missing a key piece. And that was the, um, the uh, story of the Red Book and how that actually was uh, a vital part of the, his coming upon the concept of synchronicity, really uh, as... We, we, as we're coming to the uh, end of this segment, Joe, okay. and let's pick up with the Red oh. Book and uh, this separate consciousness as part of a greater consciousness. All right. are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. 
This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, starwalkervisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. Back to CC with BB, uh, connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. 
Our guest is Joe Cambry, Ph.D. and Provost and Acting President of Pacifica Graduate Institute and a renowned and wonderful Jungian analyst. And we are talking about... Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Uh, The kinds of consciousness that Jung was trying to tell the rest of the world, and Joe is uh, being able to articulate that uh, much more clearly than Jung has, uh, and we're doing it right now. And we just left off talking about the, the Red Book, and Joe, would you set, spend a little time talking about the Red Book and how that influenced your thinking too, please? Sure, I'd be happy to. <clears throat> it's key in the sense um, of the dilemma that began the book and then how it was resolved. Uh, and in that way, uh, in 1913, Jung went through a personal crisis, in part through his uh, severing of relationships with Freud. And during that crisis, uh, he underwent some very intense psychological experiences, which he records, that that led him to really feel shaken and be concerned about his own mental stability for a while. Uh, and rather remarkably, instead of uh, sh- shunning this or trying to move away, he actually used it as a point of exploration, used the techniques he knew about uh, auto-hypnosis and some yoga techniques, and entered into his internal world and then made a record of this. And after uh, a number of months of intensive work on this, the, um, the intensity of the material um, quieted down some. And he realized he needed to undergo a massive change in his lifestyle and resigned his positions and began to focus solely on his private practice. But it wasn't until um, August of 1914 that the visions that he had had in November of 13 uh, really struck him because at that point, uh, the First World War broke out and the kinds of visions that he had been having uh, nine months previously were um, now shown to be a cultural phenomena. They were part of what was happening in the world, a terrible, bloody crisis. Uh, And he was shocked, And then, but he felt himself stuck on the horns of a dilemma here. Was he becoming psychotic, or that is, becoming a madman, or was he a prophet? Neither of which was acceptable to him as a solution. And he worked on this for almost 15 years then. Um, And in 1928, as I think you've made some allusions to, he received The Secret of the Golden Flower, a text, a Chinese alchemy text from a friend of his, uh, Ricard Wilhelm, who asked him to write a foreword to it. And Jung was stunned because the work he was doing at just that moment had to do with a kind of um, mandala-like structure that he felt had a Chinese quality to it, but he didn't know its significance or meaning. And when he received this um, 
manuscript and the mandala that was in, uh, in included with that, the resonance was so powerful that he said, I can now stop working on the Red Book. I, I found what I'm looking for. And uh, within a couple of months at a dream seminar, he first used the term synchronicity, referring to these kinds of um, coincidences. And, and he said that the the difference between the East and the West was that the West was philosophically based uh, on causality and the East had a uh, orientation towards what he called synchronicity. And my conclusion from this, and he then goes on and was he returns to the world, he returns to uh, teaching at the university and so forth. And what it seems that he's found is something that is not, it's, it resolves the dilemma of madness or um, prophecy by postulating an objective aspect to the psyche that um, that what he's this coincidental resonance is fundamental to the structure of, of nature it's it's part of reality it's an objective thing that it's not me being a prophet or me going crazy and bumping into this but it's part of the nature of reality so it's a cosmological statement and then later when he actually writes the uh, synchronicity essay we see a lot of references to um, what is effectively Big Bang cosmology. He talks about, at times, uh, psyche, uh, an affectively charged psyche, um, reducing space and time to almost zero. So, I'm just thinking about it. It's, it's just beautifully said, um, just for our audience, that mandala coincidence uh, came down to the question of a yellow castle because uh, yes. well well it was something somewhat chinese the mandala that he was doing um there was a golden uh, castle that connected both uh, the mandala uh, that he saw in yes. the golden flower and what he was doing and it's for me uh, that castle stands out as the connector uh, yes. I didn't. I didn't see anything um, about what that castle meant or, or castle-like similarity meant. But someone, including you, must have speculated about the the meaning of that particular symbol, not just the idea that the two symbols uh, correlated with each other. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, part of it is. Um, these mandala structures are very uh, useful. They're often uh, done to create a feeling of psychic holding or wholeness. They create a sense of harmony and uh, holding one together. And I think under conditions of psychic distress, they uh -huh. they, and they tend uh -huh. to uh, form a kind of um, symbol of the self, and a castle is a kind of defensive structure. And I think this was Jung finally being able to get out of the defensive structures uh, that he was in uh, trying to hold off this kind of torrent of um, psychic lava. That's really the way he experienced the upwelling of the unconscious. And that now was beginning to subside. He could leave the castle, as it were, and begin to enter the world. Oh, that's great. That's great. And now I know better about mandalas and why this girlfriend I had many years ago was <laughs> doing so many mandalas. Trying to hold her psyche together. Yeah, well, Jung was doing them every day for a while when he was in Switzerland, when he was uh, during the First World War. Huh. But what's interesting is that, and again, it, this is in the Red Book, it's one of the appendices. At one point, he received a letter from a woman, a patient of his, and it really upset him because she was going on about the kind of drawings he was doing, uh, having a very artistic quality. And he said, no, no, they're, they're nature, not art. Uh, and it so disturbed him psychically that he messed up the mandala that morning. Huh. 
And but but what he did, if you look in the Red Book and go through, there's a mandala series in there. You see that he actually incorporates that, and it becomes a point of transformation. It's the entrance into and breaking up the the rigid mandala structure and allows a transformation, and a much more complex structure uh, gradually emerges out of that. Sounds like a chaos theory to me. Yes, it does. <laughs> I, I, Jung was a proto complexity theorist. <laughs> You're, and for our audience, uh, we're talking about um, at the uh, at the edge of of chaos and order, uh, creativity emerges. Yes, uh, I, I thought I thought that's what the I Ching really does. Um, that mm-hmm. it brings order. The I Ching itself, I mean, thro- throwing the coins brings order to, at a point of chaos in the in the reader's life, and from that chaos reader uh, or or seekers, um, chaos from the seeker and order in the the I Ching emerges uh, some some creative solution. Yes. I mean, that's the, there's very good evidence at at so many different levels that creativity in the deepest way uh, emerges at the edges of order and and chaos. This is the work of uh, the best work in theoretical biology now about the origins of life. You know, Darwinian evolution's fairly straightforward once you have life present. But the question of the, the way life first began is, uh, is a very complex and difficult and hard to answer question, one we still haven't fully mastered. But some of the best theoretical writings on that now see it as uh, the kinds of uh, biomolecules that go into the origins of life uh, can neither be too dilute nor too concentrated, but only at this um, very fine edge. Again, it's not unlike uh, Fleming's discovery. It's just at these edges that something new can begin to emerge. Good. Uh, let's let's return to um, the psyche consciousness focused. I have my own consciousness, but I'm part of a greater consciousness or a greater something and you have a somewhat different terminology than than mine uh, and so it's fun hearing about your perspective on it and your Jungian thinking about it um, I, the, I call it the mental atmosphere or psychosphere and I keep it right I keep it here on earth simply because uh, it's a complex complex enough for me to just stay here and look around there's a lot of stuff going on here so I don't get too universal although I think this might be holographic too I just want to stay with what, what we've got here. So I see this interchange of information dash energy between uh, consciousness of self and consciousness or mental uh, atmosphere around us. And please comment on that, how that's different from the way you think and how it might be similar. Well, I mean, I think, uh, again, the question is what is consciousness and how far does it extend? Uh, you know, when when you use the word conscious, I would have to ask, um, where do you draw the limits? Uh, for me, it's becoming more and more complicated because um, the more I, I can give you a lot of examples of, of um, things at the microorganism level showing biological intelligence, uh, solving problems. There's a, I read the scientific literature for this kind of thing, not, not so much as a scientist, but as a curious psychologist. And I can think of one study I remember not too long ago, they were were studying the um, Tokyo rail system and they use slime mold, a one-celled creature that tends to have emergent properties. And Uh, Please describe that for our audience. I think it's a fantastic story. Okay. Uh, 
uh, well, slime molds uh, are these one-celled uh, amoeba-like creatures that when there's a lot of um, uh, food available, like at, in the in the autumn in, in uh, the deciduous forest when all the leaves fall, uh, slime molds spontaneously come together to form a, a multicellular organism, a slime mold. You know, it's kind of icky-looking, yellow, orangish, uh, <laughs> slimy material that is a much more efficient way of, uh, of uh, taking in nutrients for the, for the um, creature. And... Uh, this self-assembles without any kind of... Uh, <laughs> okay, herbal... guys, let's get together right now. There's no That's guy right. saying yeah. that. They yeah. just figure it out somehow. As it's individually, they... they come together at the right time. It's it's yeah. kind of a, on a, a phase transition. That's right. It's what might be called swarm logic. They, they, they're just very simple signals get into group behavior that creates an intelligence in the whole that's greater than the sum of the, the parts. And the cool thing is the slime mold can move around. That's what I, as a whole thing. Yes, that's right. And actually taking on that more a multicellular form is required for its life cycle. So it's wow. part of, yeah, it's, it's amazing. But what these people in, in these engineers in Tokyo did was yeah. they took a map of Tokyo. They put oat bran flakes um, at the uh, railway stations in Tokyo where they would be on the map. Uh, it's a favorite food. And they put a bit of slime mold at the very center at Tokyo Station. And they let it go for about 24 hours. And it created these slime pathways, these uh, trails uh, all over the map. And when you compare that to what the engineers spent about 10 years building in terms of the Tokyo rail system, it's remarkable how much overlap there is between the two systems. Um, and the, the point of the, uh, the scientific study was to say, uh, not that, gee, slime molds can do it as well as engineers can do it, but maybe we need to start with asking nature the right kind of questions because there's a kind of intelligence, there's a kind of consciousness in nature that uh, adapts to the world and is remarkable in terms of its uh, flexibility and, uh, and depth of, of grasp of understanding of the world. I am hearing ask nature more and more these days. And sometimes it could be just the way you did it. Sometimes it's just asking something yes. more ethereal for it. Well, we're going to, for help, we're, we're coming to the end of this next segment. Um, see, you, see, you, see you next segment. Hi, everyone. Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on Internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, this product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. 
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome back to CC with BB, the only radio program in the world dedicated to the study and discussion of synchronicity, serendipity, and coincidences. Our guest is Joe Cambry, a prominent Jungian theorist who is uh, clarifying a lot of great ideas for us here. 
Well, Joe, we've we've talked about slime molds, but <laughs> and asking nature. Uh, I'm part of the division of perceptual studies here at the yeah. University of Virginia. Uh, if you ever come out this way, uh, you would be a wonderful guest, and you would find people uh, on Tuesday uh, having a good time talking with you Tuesday at noon. Um, we talk about near-death experiences, reincarnation, uh -huh. parapsychological things, and Jung uh, is always uh, in the background from our discussions. Sure. So it would be a pleasure to have you here. Uh, they talk about physicists asking uh, the right questions of nature also. Mm -hmm. um, let's, if one more time, go to the Fleming uh, penicillin okay. story, uh, because we're, we're talking about uh, individual consciousness as part of greater consciousness, and of course, yes. defining what we mean by consciousness. Uh, I'm coming to recognize consciousness in trees. I have yes. 10 avocado trees growing in my, uh, yeah. my sunroom here. Uh, I like the interchange that I experience with them as well as out in the forest. So there's a lot of different variations on consciousness, but if, if you could say with how you think this cultural event that helped uh, the Allies win World War II, that took 20 years to happen, uh, uh, that Fleming didn't know what, that he discovered what he wanted to discover until uh, uh, the guys at Oxford came up with uh, how to, to test it, and then uh, the U.S. came up with how to uh, distribute it and produce it. Uh, how did all this happen? Now, one more time at asking you that question. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're asking uh, what was in the cultural psyche yes. that yes. needed this to manifest in, Good. in some Good. ways. Yeah, I think that's that each one of these players is a kind of avatar in some way of uh, of a deeper impulse that's in the collective that's seeking um, uh, expression, and it it seems that's such a great line. I'm sorry to interrupt. The avatars of um, the of the deep of of needs in the deep psyche, uh, representatives of the needs in the deep psyche. That's such a an interesting idea that we're, uh, we're goal-seeking um, avatars for the greater good. Oh. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think that, you know, we have conscious motivations. The yes. ones were the ego-conscious motivations. Um, but that often uh, just causes us to um, occult the these other deeper motivations that are that are there that are moving throughout us in, yeah. in societies. And I'm more and more interested in these kinds of background energies that wow. bring forward people at certain moments and, and how we're used within the context of these things. What, what, what are the historical moments? Well, this is really the I Ching and its synchronicity. Why this moment that this is happening? Uh, and this person becomes the the carrier of that. And you can watch this kind of move. That's why I've been interested in synchronicities that unfold over a long period of time. And yeah. this is one of them. I think that's, yes. you know, you start in yes. 18 and you go on to into the 40s and so forth. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Do you have a sense for what uh, you're carrying from the deep psyche as an avatar? Oh boy, I've, I've, you know, this is what's the myth I'm living. That was one of Jung's questions, and yeah, I, I've struggled with this. I mean, for example, when I moved from the East Coast to come and be the provost here at Pacifica, I had one set of things in mind in terms of what I thought I was doing in terms of Jungian theory and so forth, and then um, I've 
seen all of the political changes that have happened in the last year or so. And it feels to me that, um, you know, who I am and what I'm doing is changing. Uh, my role is changing in terms of uh, uh, carrying uh, a concern about Jungian psychology. Uh, the international component of that is something I'm very engaged and invested in. And it's a question of how to being open to those forces that most um, advance something and how to know there's a huge I mean the problem with things like emergence and, and complexity is that it comes value neutral the ethical dilemma is left to the individual to sort out so mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if you're a Fleming and you discover something, something happens, what do you do with it? Um, you know, it can be used for good or it can be used for harm. Uh, and so the, the question then for, you know, myself and for anybody, I think, in facing what's happening in a changing time is, is where's, where's the truth of my life taking me? How do I find the pathway in this that, um, that, I'm expressing both myself, but in conjunction with the moment, uh, the historical moment I'm living in. Yeah, and I, 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 that just resonates with me I, for for various, I can say, reasons. I'm compelled to try to create a field called coincidence studies. Yes, yes, clearly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I gotta do it. It's like Gene Kelly. Yep. I gotta dance. I gotta dance. I gotta do this. Uh, and Rob who better be listening right now has certainly given me an opportunity to be able to do this um, in through the radio and be able to talk with you, which probably I wouldn't have done before, and and learn and try to gather information and create something that's an academic as well as public uh, interest that's organized and clear enough to be able to continue to do research and uh, and do practical stuff with it. That's it's, right. And it's it's an interesting feeling to be part to be a, an avatar like that. Uh, yes. I, you are um, an avatar, from my perspective, of trying to update uh, the Jungian theory of synchronicity. Yes, that's been. You know, it started really as a as a clinician. I just had a number of these cases, and I said. You know, I know Jung had written about this, and I tried to say, well, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to really take this seriously, I need to really unpack his uh, ideas and uh, where did he get this from, and how? Why did he think this was true? And I thought I was just doing a bit of clinical work, and here it is, you know, 20 years later, and I, I'm still working in this field. You are. It, you are. It keeps working me, I'd say. That's a good way of saying it. Uh, and I went to the Santa Fe Institute just to go see what they were um, doing. Um, it's pretty, very impressive. I couldn't find a connection to coincidence when I visited them. It was a brief visit, but it's, what they're doing there is really cool. And that's where you, and that's where you got a push to go into um, c complexity. Yes, absolutely. It was the one thing that linked the two sides of my education. You know, I had originally <laughs> trained as a scientist, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. I didn't like just the metaphoric use of science uh, applied to psychology. I needed something more substantive. And at just that moment, the complexity world was really, um, it was really burgeoning. And uh, fortunately, I had a couple of mentors who pointed me in that direction. And suddenly, I could see the connections that I hadn't been able to find previously. Uh, we've got about four minutes left, um, um, and 
complexity can be complex because uh, <laughs> yes. chaos comes in there, emergence comes in there. These terms um, are hard to define uh, simply. Uh, and then there is my concern about um, the constellation of archetypes as uh, a necessary um, part of a coincidence, a meaningful coincidence yes. of synchronicity taking place. <laughs> and I, I, how do you do constellation of archetypes can chaos theory or complexity? That's a tough well, question. I, I, uh, yeah, one of the ways that I've thought about this um, is I, I think Jung as a pioneer just did a qualitative statement. He just, here, plop, here's this big story about the scarab beetle and boom, you know, wow, it's pretty, pretty impressive. But the more I've looked at this, uh, synchronicities happen at all kinds of uh, in levels of intensity and different frequencies of those intensities. In other words, like if I'm just having a daydream and it connects with something else, or suddenly I get the thought, oh, somebody's gonna, so I haven't talked to somebody in, in a long time and they, they call in the next couple of minutes. A rather common phenomena for a lot of us. I'd say that's a low level kind of synchronicity. And in the world of science, there's a study about um, intense the intensity frequency relationship the best known of this is of course the richter scale where you look at the intensity of earthquakes versus their frequency and you do a log log plot and all that but what you get is a, if you get what's called a straight line uh, which is what the richter scale is it's uh, what's called a power law and that means that even if you don't know what's going on the same phenomena is going on across the scale. So a one on the Richter scale and a 10 on the Richter scale still come from the same phenomena, which we now know, of course, is the movement of tectonic plates, the, the, the geological plates in the earth, when they rub against one another um, and they break free, we get an earthquake. But whether that earthquake is a little one or a big one, um, we can predict how often uh, and how frequently these um, kinds of e events will occur, I think synchronicities can be put on a similar kind of scale, from very large ones that are massively transformative even to cultures, to the ordinary everyday ones in our lives. And the, the, so the question of constellation is one of degree for me, that um, the 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 archetype when it's most strongly constellated, least mediated, would be when it's a kind of 10 on the Richter scale of uh, synchronicities. And when it's more diffuse and far less uh, strongly constellated, it's in the two or three range. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, I'm developing a, a, a way to... to use probability and similarity and a variety of other things to rate the quality of a coincidence. But we need to talk about that another time. This, we're coming to the end of our discussion uh, time here. Um, and this, was there any last thing you'd like to tell our audience? Oh, um, well, uh, I think... Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, we that that that's saying goodbye right there. Uh, there's a lot for us to talk about here. I, I love your mind. I love the way you're thinking about this Thanks. stuff. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Joe. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure for you. Thanks again for joining me.